Once again, Cedar Street, uh, I love you so very much, and it is hard to believe today is the last day of 2017. I remember standing here on New Year's Day, uh, preaching God's Word and praying for what God would have us to do in 2017. I want to say I love you, and I'm awful proud of what God has been doing in this church, and I'm encouraged and excited to see what He's going to do as we continue to walk with Him in 2018. But here's what I believe. I believe that most of the time... We are ignorant of time. We don't see time as it's passing. We only see time when we step back and look at where we've come to think about where we're going. It isn't funny that New Year's Eve seems to be the time that we do that. There's a word that almost every church is probably mentioning at least once this this day, and that's the word resolution. We all have them. I certainly have mine. But before we do that, I want you to stop and think about something for just a minute. If we're going to look at time or we're going to look at a year of our lives from our perspective. And then I want to look at them from God's perspective. So the question I want to ask as we start things off is this. In one, one sentence I'd say, uh, what's the best year of your life and why? Stop and think for one second. Turn back the clock for however many years you've been on this planet. What is the best year of your life? I remember growing up listening to Frank Sinatra and there was that one song, A Very Good Year. And he kind of walked through his life chronologically and said, 35 was a very good year. And he talked about why it was a good year. And why, what's the best year of your life? I guarantee the answer to that question for pretty much everyone in this room is going to be based on an achievement or a milestone. The best year of your life, according to your view, may be the year your first child was born. Could be the year that you graduated from school. Could be the year that you landed your dream job. Could be the year that you retired and said goodbye to your job. It could be uh, fill in the blank. It could be any of those things. It could be um, purchase your first home. It could be when you got married. It could be any of those things. And there's nothing wrong with that. For you to look back at your life and say, this was a year that I'll never forget because this, this, and this happened. That's a good thing. That's celebrating the gifts that God has bestowed upon you. But what I want to do today Okay, and the title of our message today is A Good Year in God's Eyes. I want to shift our focus for just a moment on what, from when we would say what a good year is, to what God would say a good year is. In fact, in uh, one sentence, uh, the main idea of our passage as we walk through Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, in one sentence, I think uh, the big idea of our text here today would be this A good year in God's eyes is one that is focused less on achieving goals and more in investing in relationships in His eternal kingdom. Everything I mentioned a few minutes ago about our favorite years almost always has to do with milestones, almost always has to do with goals and achievements. But as we'll see here in Micah chapter 6, he's a lot more interested in our investment in relationships that will last for all of eternity in His kingdom. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of Micah. You can blow some dust off when you get there. This is not a book that uh, is often preached. It's a great book, and I'm glad to preach it to you today. The book of Micah in the Old Testament. Okay, I'll give you a minute to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, grab the Pew Bible in front of you. uh, Page 927 in your Pew Bible. You can get to it pretty quick that way. Again, Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. If you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word, We are in Micah, again, chapter 6, and I'll be reading verses 6 through 8. Hear God's word to us, starting in verse 6. 
With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. You are faithful and you are good to us. You have given us oxygen in our lungs for another year. And you have a purpose for us on this planet. Father, New Year's Eve is always a way for us to reflect on the year that was as we prepare for the year to come. We don't know what lies ahead. Only you do. You're sovereignly in control of all things. And yet you've given us responsibility to respond to you in repentance and faith and to trust and obey your sovereign plan. Father, I pray in the few moments that we have left as we walk through your word here in Micah chapter 6 that you would help us to see what a good year looks like in your eyes. And that we would have resolved that our resolutions would be focused around these things primarily and our other resolutions secondary. So Father, be with us. Open up our eyes, our hearts, our minds to receive this truth that we may respond running into 2018 excited for what you're going to do and investing in the relationships that you've placed before us. Be with us now, Father, as we consider the truth of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, Amen. I hope in the next 15 minutes that we have together that I can challenge you in a tangible way. A lot of times you preach God's word and and in every passage, if a pastor is doing what they're supposed to be doing and preaching God's word, there's explanation, which is what does the text mean? There's illustration, which means how does it work? And there's application, which means what should I do? Well, I'm going to offer you all three, but I'm going to focus a lot on application today because I want you to leave here in the final day of 2017 and not be in the dark about what you can do to have a good year with the Lord in 2018. But first, a little bit of explanation. All right, give you the context here in Micah chapter 6. I'll go through this really quickly. Micah is a prophet, a prophet of Israel, and the book of Micah is written by Micah, we think sometime around 700 B.C., So seven centuries before Jesus comes. And he's preaching to a specific tribe in Israel, the precious tribe of Judah. And guess what's happening to that tribe at the time he's preaching? The leaders of the people, the kings, the political leaders were corrupt. And what they were doing was taking full advantage of those that were less powerful than them in the nation. And Micah's coming and he's preaching to the people to repent and place their faith in the Lord. In fact, he's addressing three kings specifically, King Jotham, King Ahaz, and King Hezekiah, these kings that that led the, the Judah from 750 B.C. all the way till 686 B.C. And basically, if you read the book of Micah, it's really broken down into three sections. The first three chapters are about a prophecy of judgment on Judah. The second, uh, the second section in chapters 4 and 5 is a promise of blessing, and then the final two chapters is a plea for repentance. So we're at a place in history here where the prophet Micah is calling the people of Judah to repent of their sins, and they're saying, well, what do we do? How do we do that? We want to honor God. What are we supposed to do? So as I read here in, in verses 6 through 8 of Micah chapter 8, they're basically saying, 
What shall I do to come before God? How do I bow myself before God? Should I bring a thousand calves and bulls and rams and offer up all these animals as sacrifices for the penalty of my sin? What should I do? And Micah boldly responds in verse 8, and this is a word for us in 2017. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Then he gives us three things. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. That's a good year. Those three things add up to a pretty good year. So I'm going to walk through those three things in the short time that we have left, and I'm going to make it as practical as I possibly can. So number one, a good year in God's eyes requires us to do justice to others. That's the first part of verse 8. The Lord requires of you but to do justice. Now, the first part, the first part of verse 8 tells us and shows us that this applies to us. Sometimes you read the Old Testament and you see these words that were written to the Jews thousands of years ago and you say, that's not about me. Well, here's what he says. He has told you, oh man, what is good. He's addressing mankind, not just one specific people group. He's saying, hey, guess what, human beings, past, present, and future? If you're a human being, what I'm fixing to say to you applies to you. And I'm going to give you three things that God requires of you to live the way he's called you to live. And what's the first of those three? To do justice. To do justice. That sounds kind of strange. Sometimes we're called to live justly. But he's saying, no, it's an action. Do it. Do justice. Well, what does that mean? What is justice? If I had to define justice, I'd say a couple of words that would match perfectly. I'd say justice is fairness, it's integrity, it is righteousness, and this is a big one, it's honesty towards others. When you deal in justice, when you do justice to someone else, you're fair to someone else. You give them what you owe them. You give them what they deserve. You give them what God would give them. And he's asking you to do it on his behalf. That's justice. Doing what is right all the time, even when nobody's looking but God. That is justice. You know, when I think about this, uh, I've mentioned this person's name behind the pulpit many times. One of my favorite leaders of all time was the great John Wooden, the head coach at uh, UCLA basketball, who won, I think, 10 national championships and has one of the longest winning streaks in NCAA history. He's a great coach, but that's not why I love him. He's also a passionate Christian. He was the son of a Methodist preacher and was raised in the, the, the belt buckle of the Bible belt in Indiana in the Midwest. And... Um, he believed in justice in such a way. One of the stories that has stuck out in my mind, I don't know why, it's a, just a really insignificant story in his life, but one day he had a bunch of assistant coaches from his coaching staff come into his living room and they had a meeting. And when they left, a few hours later, he found about $3 in change stuck in the couch cushions. And he called every single one of those assistant coaches back and he went through the entire collection of change to make sure whoever's it was, he got it back to the proper owner. You know what that is? That's integrity. That's justice. That's saying, you know what? It may be $3 and change, and no one's going to miss $3, but it's not mine. I'm going to give to people what's theirs. I'm going to do justice. You know, I mentioned this this morning in our Sunday school lesson. There was a... Uh, a dear friend of mine in Florida when I worked in Daytona, his name's Ed. 
Ed's probably in his late 50s. I love Ed. He's retired. He's a biker. Uh, he loves being on the Harley. He's had a flat top for 30 years. He, I mean, he's just, Ed's a man of routine. When, and Ed says he's going to do something. He does it. Uh, he's just, uh, you got to love Ed. He was a season ticket holder for the uh, Daytona Cubs when I was broadcasting for them. And uh, Ed had a license plate, a Florida license plate that said the words, yeah, but. And I always look at that and say, what does that mean? So one day I asked him, I said, Ed, why do you have a license plate that says, yeah, but? And he said, Bo, I'm an alcoholic. He said, and it took years for me to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. I would not go. I had every excuse in the book why I was drinking, and I would not listen to family, and I would not listen to friends. And my answer to them all the time was, yeah, but, until I finally surrendered. He said, when I finally surrendered, I made that my license plate that I would never forget that my life is no longer going to be about excuses. Now, as I walk through these last three points in the 10 minutes we have left, I want you to check your own hearts and I want you to say to yourselves, what is your yeah, but what is keeping you from experiencing the blessing that God wants to give you in 2018? What part of your life are you saying, God, I know this is wrong, but I'm going to do this on my terms and you're going to forfeit God's blessing on your life. And there's some things I'm going to say that are very hard. I've prayed through this. This is heavy. But I'm saying this out of love. I'm saying this to myself. I don't have this thing licked. I don't have it mastered. There's areas in my life I need to let go and give to the Lord. But I want to be tangible. I don't want you to leave today and say, what can I do to make 2018 better? I'm going to give you some things. And they're not going to be easy. But I want you to say, what's your yeah but? All right? All right. So I think when we talk about justice, it means paying people what we owe them. So I want to talk spiritual. And then I'm actually going to talk financial for a second. From a spiritual aspect, have you sinned against somebody and you have refused to admit that to them? Behind their backs, if you said something hurtful that you would not want somebody to say about you, but you are not willing to confess that to them that you did, what's your yeah but there? Are you willing to go up to someone and share with them that you said something maybe that you shouldn't have said or that you've done something that you shouldn't have done? 2018 would be a year to reconcile that experience God's blessing when you're willing to be honest with other people. It's one thing to confess to God in silence as we did today and we do every Sunday, and we need to. It starts with God. But God says, if you are truly sorry for what you have said, thought, or done towards someone else, go to them and be a real man or a real woman and admit it to them. Think in your own hearts right now of something that you're not proud of that you need to confess to somebody. Pay the debt to them. You owe it to them. Do justice. Now, this is going to hit us a little bit harder. What about our financial debts? Think about this, okay? We're Americans, most of us. We're, we are into debt up to our eyeballs because we refuse to pay people what we owe them. Think about our credit cards, okay? I'm confessing to you that when I was 27 years old, I was saved. And within a year, God woke me up to a sin of credit card debt. I had $22,000 of credit card debt, and I was only making $30,000 a year, so you do the math. I prayed for God to rescue me from that, and he didn't right away. What he did was help me to get a second job, help me to cut back on things in my life, and it took me nine years to pay it off. And in 2016, I remember the moment where I was in our apartment at seminary. I remember writing the last check for the last bit of the balance and I was finally 100% credit card debt free and now I use the card simply for gas and we pay the full balance on it every month and 
God had to walk me through that. I was the first year of my salvation, and I said, you know what, God? I could make a thousand excuses for why I'm in this debt, but I'm not going to. I was in my 20s. I was using that card to actually go and, and go to people's funerals because I was, you know, I'd lived all over the country, and when you get an air, airline ticket and a rent-a-car and a hotel, I mean, you're talking over $1,000 each time, and there was friends of mine that were passing away, a lot of my older friends from when I was in baseball, and that credit card was most of that. But I didn't know the Lord. I wasn't trusting in Him to provide what I needed. And I got myself in hot mess until God said, pay what you owe. And it took me nine years to do it. But He'll do it for you. He'll do it for you. What about medical bills? You know, I, right before we left for seminary, never forget this. It was one week before we were supposed to go to North Carolina, and I opened up the, the mail, and there was a bill I had a CPAP machine. I was getting a sleep study. I, I snore worse than any human being on the planet. And she'll confess that. <laughs> uh, I got a sleep study that I was told was going to be covered by insurance. And a week before I was supposed to leave, I got this bill that I, it was choking me. I can't pay this. And, and someone told me this, Bo, you're going to North Carolina. Just throw it in the trash. They're not going to chase you to North Carolina to pay the bill. I said, well, how can I go prepare to serve God when I'm not willing to be responsible. And I got the address to the billing office in Vidalia and drove right up there, knocked on the door, walked into some lady's cubicle and spent an hour with her begging her to help me. And she lowered the price enough for a few payments I was able to pay it and then leave. I didn't know I was getting myself into that. And some of us, you know, we don't act, listen, any medical bills we have are based on issues that we didn't know were coming. And they hit us hard, don't they? And sometimes we have to go to them and confess we can't pay it, but we need help. One of my brothers in this church this morning, I said, 2018 is going to be a good year. No more surgery. He said, yeah, I just got to finish paying the bill. I said, well, God's good. He will help you. If you're willing to do justice and, and pay what you owe, God will honor your honesty. It may take nine years, but it'll help you pay what you owe. What about loans to other people? Times that you've asked God to help you, but you've reached out to other people, and then you know in the back of your heart that they're not going to ask for it back, but you know you owe it to them. What about services that you promised for other people? Maybe you're a contractor. Maybe you've offered to do certain things for certain people, and you haven't done the very best you could do. You've used cheap materials. You've, uh, you've skipped over certain things that you know they'll never notice because you need to get on to the next job. Won't you honor, won't you honor them and do justice and knock on their door and say, hey, listen, I got to finish something. Can I come in and do what I need to do? Honesty before God. And then this one is just a, this is a pet peeve of mine. It was a pet peeve of my president at the seminary I came from. How about you tip your waiters what they deserve? Christians are notorious for being cheap. And it's sad. It's an awful testimony to the kingdom of God. It's awful. I heard testimonies of Christians who would leave gospel tracts with no money and say, this is the tip you really need. Well, why don't you wrap that gospel track in a $20 bill? People need actual money. They need food. They need to eat. They need to pay their bills. And if we're Christians, we need to be the most generous people on the planet because we know if we're generous to other people, God will be generous to us. He will give us more to keep on giving. You cannot outgive God. I remember the first time I heard Charles Stanley say that on TV, I screamed amen, and I've been screaming amen ever since. You can't outgive him. You can't do it. Try. Try. He'll honor it. I promise he will. 
Now, that's not the only way that we do justice to others, but boy, that makes it tangible, doesn't it? It hits us below the belt line and makes us reconsider some decisions we've made in our lives. But I'm telling you, if we're willing to be honest, God will bless us in a new and a fresh way when we throw out the yeah buts and we do justice to others. Going to have to move real fast now. Number two, a good year in God's eyes requires us to love kindness towards others. Let me say quickly that in some of your translations, if you have the King James or I think the NIV and some others, may say the word mercy instead of kindness. And I actually think that's a better translation than what the ESV says here. Mercy is a better translation than kindness because mercy is about an action and not just an emotion. And that's what God's saying, to love mercy, to do mercy to others and to love receiving mercy from God himself. So what does that look like tangibly? Well, helping the poor, cheering up the sick, teaching the ignorant, witnessing to the lost. This entails an act of grace where you do something for someone they could never do for themselves. In fact, John Wooden, who I quoted at the beginning of our time together with the couch cushion money, he had a famous quote, That was, you haven't had a perfect day until you've done something for someone they could not possibly repay you for. That's mercy. And by the way, that's a response to the mercy that God gives us. Is it not? Uh, The other day I had a chance to preach to some, some wounded hearts as we had a memorial service at Kennedy Funeral Home for those that have lost folks in 2000. And 17, and I preached out of Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. And that passage just says, God's mercies are new and fresh with every morning. You know what? I think about that when I'm brushing my teeth in the morning. God, I have messed up my day, but I got a whole new one to start with. And I know how bad I need his mercy. And when I, when I reflect on that, it helps me to show that mercy to other people. Because I know how bad I need it. I'm scared at the capacity that I have to sin as a human being. I really am. And when I do, it just reminds me, without the mercy of God, I'm in a whole lot of trouble. All of us are. But if we're merciful, God will bless us in a new and fresh way. And it doesn't say to just to do mercy, but to love it. To be so grateful for it that you're like this channel that God pours in and you pour out. God pours in and you pour out. Mercy should be something that we're, you know, that we're marked by. Kindness and mercy should be what marks us as believers in Jesus Christ. In fact, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, here's what it says. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. God desires not that you sacrifice. All right, in the Old Testament, anytime time they sinned, they just added more bulls or rams to the altar table. And basically what he's saying is that's not really what I want. I want, you to, I want you to show mercy and to seek mercy from me. I desire mercy is what God says. And if we follow him, we will love mercy as well. So now we've seen that he says for we are called to do justice, to love kindness and mercy. Number three, finally, a good year in God's eyes requires us to walk humbly with him. Walk humbly with him. Humility, what it means to be humble. Humility is the soil by which every other Christian fruit is planted. If you don't have the foundation of humility, we're not capable of achieving any of those other things that we just talked about. But if we do have humility, anything is possible. Humility, how how do you cultivate humility? I'd say this, surrender and dependence on God. When you say no more yeah buts, 
God, I am surrendering to you. It makes you humble because you realize if God doesn't show up, I'm not going to make it. And God wants to put you in a position in your life that you have to trust Him, otherwise you may not make it. He doesn't do that because He's angry with you. He doesn't do that because He hates you. He does it because He loves you. Because sometimes when things are going well, we don't surrender to God. We're trusting in other things. We're trusting in how much we have left in our savings account. We're trusting in how many years we've put into a company. We're trusting in our own physical ability to do something. And God will take that away from us so fast. Oh, He will. Until we begin to surrender to Him and say, God, You are what I trust in. I surrender to You and I will obey You. And some of us get right to the edge. And we talked about this in our Sunday school class this morning. We get right to the edge and we say our yeah, but... I want you to bless me. I want to be humble. I want to honor you, but there's this one thing that I just won't let go of. I know you call me to give, but I'm just not comfortable going beyond my my level of comfort here. I know you call me to be morally pure, but I'm just not going to move out with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I know that the Bible says it's wrong, but the world says it's right, so I'm going to go with the world says. I'm not going to go with God says. And right then and there, you lose the blessing of God on your relationship. You lose the blessing of God in your finances because God can't bless what is against His Word. The problem is we constantly look for the world to tell us what is right and wrong, but the world constantly changes what is right and wrong. God's Word is eternal. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What's always been wrong is wrong today, and what's always been right is right today. And if we are humble, we will always do what's right and confess whenever it is that we've done is wrong. If we live in what is wrong, we will never know His full blessing for a good year. But here's, here's the good news. If you're sitting in the pew today and you're right in the middle of what you know is wrong, you still have time to make it right. And you do that by walking humbly with God through surrender and through obedience. If you're willing to say, God, I'm going to give what you tell me to give. I'm going to serve where you tell me to serve. God, I'm going to move out. I'm either going to marry this person or I'm going to find a couch. I'm going to move out and I'm going to say, God, your will no matter what. No more yeah buts. God's will no matter what. If you do that, you're going to see a blessing in your life in 2018 you've never seen before. I'm telling you, I believe it for my own life. There's some yeah buts that I'm working on. I'll just say real, real quickly. When we surrender to him, the three areas in which we can surrender is honesty, trust, trust. Being honest, trusting, and being faithful. Being honest is knowing who you are before God and repenting of all known sin. Trusting is putting your trust in God for forgiveness and for His provision. He will give you what you need to get through the day. And being faithful, honoring and obeying God when nobody else is looking. In those moments that nobody would know if you did it or not, when you honor God in the darkness, He will honor you in the light. He will. This is what God's calling us to in 2018. It's not easy. Simple, but not easy, which is the Christian life. And I'm asking you to pray for me, and I'm going to pray for all of you. Our prayer together is that 2018 will be a year that we do these things, that we do what is required. We do justice to others. We love kindness towards others, and we walk humbly with God himself. So let me sum all this up as we get ready to pray out. 
In one sentence, to sum it up, I'd say Jesus Christ is the perfect model of justice, kindness, and humility. So to meet God's requirements for a good year, we must first abide in God's Son. The reason that people can't do this, the reason that people never let go of their yeah buts, is because they refuse to rest in Jesus. That, that passage, uh, John 15, 5, that's in parentheses on your study notes, that's my life verse. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can't do anything. God wants your heart in 2018. The milestones, they'll come and go. Again, some years are harder than others. Some years we're mourning the loss of those who we love and it takes years to to even heal from that. Some years are, are, are about celebration, the birth of ones we love, the graduation the marriage, the first house, the dream job, all those things, the retirement. Those will come and go. But if you want to have a good year in God's eyes, put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus and be willing to say, Jesus, I love you so much. I'm throwing out my yeah buts. And I'm going to honor you this year no matter what. And I promise this, no matter what happens, you will experience a closeness with him that I can't put a price tag on. That's what I want for my 2018. And I would pray that you would want that for your 2018 as well. Now as we enter into a time of invitation, if you know the Lord, but you know there's something you're hanging on to, a yeah but, why don't you come as we pray and just leave your yeah but at the altar. I will pray with you. I will, I will leave you in your own comfort and privacy to pray alone. I'd be happy this week if there's anything you want to share with me that I can help pray through. God wants to take you to a level of further surrender in the Lord Jesus. And I'm telling you, that's where the joy is. Psalm 1611, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. I I, I pray joy and treasures for your 2018. Let's pray together. Father, you are eternally the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You don't see time the way that we do, Father. You see beginning, middle, and end all at one time. Yet we are in time and space as human beings. And we've made mistakes, and we are wanting to do more in 2018 than we did in 2017. And so, Father, here's what I pray. Would you help us as a church to grow deeper and abide fuller in the vine of Jesus Christ? Help us to love you in a deeper way, to be honest in a more painful way, to trust you more deeply, to have faith in your provision, to know that you're going to take what is wrong and make it right if we're willing to confess and live for you. Father, I pray for everyone in this room, myself included, let's throw out the yeah buts. And with no yeah buts, just honor you, Father, honor you this year that we'd have a good year in your eyes and more of your sweet presence, Father. I pray this for all of us, myself included, in the precious and saving and holy name of the Lord Jesus Christ and God's people said, Amen.